Hey, this is Rondé Barber, former Virginia Cavalier, now class of 2023 Pro Football Hall of Famer. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Welcome to another edition of the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. We appreciate you tuning in to all the usual podcast platforms and YouTube. Uh, we have a growing audience and uh, we appreciate your participation. And uh, before we get started with today's special guest, I want to thank our sponsors, uh, the Aberdeen Barn, Virginia's finest steakhouse, the winner of uh, the Charlottesville's best steakhouse for the third year in a row in a recent poll. Also, the Good Feet store over at Stonefield across from the movie theater. Appreciate them. And Roback, one of the fastest growing activewear companies in the nation based right here in Charlottesville. We appreciate their sponsorship, bringing you this free content. And I've been excited uh, uh, over the last 24 hours when we found out we're going to have this guy as our special guest today. We go way back and uh, have the utmost respect for him. If you want to know anything about North Carolina Tar Heels, this is the man you go to. Go to his site, Tar Heel Illustrated. They've got it all, man. And uh, he covers Carolina like a blanket. And I'm talking about Andrew Jones, A.J., Welcome to the show. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, my friend. And I always look forward to Carolina UVA meetings because I get to see the great Jerry Radcliffe, a.k.a. Hootie. So it's always a pleasure. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for that. And, uh, you know, in in past, in recent years, uh, this game has been um, intriguing. Uh, we, we, need, we didn't know exactly what might happen because Virginia's – been really good at home against Carolina and uh, the Tar Heels uh, have had some um, Achilles heels, so to speak, no, no pun intended, but uh, <laughs> even when they're at home in recent years. But this year's a little different, Andrew. Um, this Carolina team's for real. And um, uh, Mac Brown has Carolina back in the top 10 again. Talk about uh, just how good these guys are. I think they're really good. I think they can get better, but they haven't played anybody yet in a situation that would give us a true indication of exactly where they are. We we thought perhaps Miami might be that game, but after seeing Miami at the end of the Georgia Tech game, watch them in person last week, it's not a well-coached team. They got a lot of issues. They uh, are a very undisciplined team. And North Carolina took advantage of that. Carolina did have um, a, a mediocre first half in that game, a lot of penalties and allowed a lot of yards and stuff, but they made some adjustments at halftime, something they've done all year long and were outstanding in the, most of the second half of that game. But I think what we're watching with this UNC team, we're, we're watching them get better in different ways each week. And they're at a point now at the at midway through the season, Jerry, where it's kind of hard to find weaknesses. You know, they're not bad on the offensive line. They're not great, but they're not bad. And sometimes they're very good, especially in run blocking. They're better than a, than average on the defensive line. And they've reached a point now where they can rush three and, and force quarterbacks to move. They were dropping eight against Van Dyke the other day. And twice it led to interceptions. So they're able to do more things defensively than they could before because there's a lot of trust in each position group. They're a little thin at corner, a little young there, but 
I think they have enough. Uh, they're deep at safety. They're they're very strong at linebacker. The Jack position came in Rucker and Amari Gaynor, a kid that was at Florida State last year, is outstanding. Of course, they have Drake. The running back room is good. The wide receiver room is not as deep as it was because they lost Kobe Pesor probably for the year, but still top-notch. Tez Walker and Nate McCollum are going to play in the NFL. And they got some young ones there that have a chance to as well. So other than some snafus on special teams, it's kind of hard to find a weakness. And the thing about it is I believe that this is as connected a football team as I've ever covered. I'm doing this for 27 years. The the leadership, the player-led aspect of them, the maturity, and I've been throwing this number out all year. I was doing it in the summer. They have six college graduates in the rotation on defense. They have several college graduates on offense at start. I mean, they're an old team. Wow. They're a mature team. They're an unflappable team. And that's why when they've had some stretches in games that have not gone well, they quickly adapt. They don't panic. They adapt. They make adjustments. And then they shut it down. Where in previous years, we would see the snowball effect, especially on defense. A couple of bad things would happen, and they wouldn't recover. Or would it be two quarters and they give up 40 points in two quarters and then maybe start to slow someone down. But at that point, they're down three touchdowns. So that that's the difference. This is a mature football team. This is a check-the-boxes football team. And it's a club, I think, that's on a mission. And that mission is going to be tested this weekend because how do they respect their opponent? How do they respect themselves? They're going to have to do both things in order to, to play at a high level this week and continue getting better each week. That's why I think this is an interesting game, Jerry. But otherwise, if Carolina plays like they can and should, it's going to be a tough day for UVA. I totally agree. And uh, I saw another uh, report on your site that that caught my eye as well, that Mac believes that this uh, he likes his team's toughness. And that's that's something that any football coach would would love to be able to say about his football team. Um, and it's something that a lot of North Carolina coaches haven't been able to say. Right. And you, you've done this longer than I have. You know that the Achilles heel, if you will, or the, one of the common traits of a lot of UNC teams, they weren't that tough. They kind of reflected the school color a little bit. And that's true. And I think that that is one of the compelling storylines that continue to show itself each week. Mac in the spring, we talked to him right at the beginning of spring practice, and he said, we have to change the narrative that we're soft. He didn't deflect it and say, oh, that's BS. We aren't, well, we're so, we aren't soft. We're tough. He didn't do that at all. He said, it's up to us to change it. And they've done that. I think they've done it through six games. People that don't pay attention as closely as I do may still question it. And perhaps they need to go to Death Valley and, you know, they had Duke and Clemson coming up back to back. Those will be the two most physical teams they play all year. And then NC State, which will be very physical that game. So we'll find out exactly how physical and tough this team is. But they've shown so far that they're mentally tough and that they're physically tough. And I thought the way that they exploded in the in the third quarter against Miami last weekend, they matched and exceeded Miami's physicality. They won the point of attack, which they hadn't always done before. They won on big plays and getting some breaks defensively, and they'd outscore somebody. But they won at the point of attack. They were a physical team. They were a chest-pounding team. And that's a trait that Mac knew all along and said, in order to be the team that we can be, we have to pound our chest and we have to do it after big plays. 
tough plays, physical plays. And right now they're doing those things. It's fascinating to watch five helmets on the ball. It's fascinating to watch guys get hit in the backfield, not every once in a while, but a lot, because they've always had talent. But a lot of times the talent hasn't always been on the same page at the same time. And we're seeing a lot of that now. I'd say 80% of each game, they are completely in sync on both sides of the ball. We haven't seen much of that around here since 2019. So I I can totally relate to that. But, you know, I've been uh, looking around this week, uh, and I I think you have too, and, and looking for reasons why this could be a game. I know there's, I think the point spread's 23 and a half points, but I've, I've been, I've had a hard time uh, finding a reason that Virginia can make this close. Uh, I talked to the coordinators today. I talked to Tony Elliott yesterday. We, we all agree that this is the best team Virginia has faced. And even though Virginia has had a bye week, extra week to prepare, uh, to self-scout and make try to make some corrections, to throw some things out, maybe throw a new couple of wrinkles in. It's still hard to find anything that's compelling in, in Virginia's case, Andrew. And um, uh, so I, I think this I think this might be the whole key. And let's talk about cheese. <laughs> Uh, I, I told this on another show I was on uh, yesterday, but uh, I'll let you tell this story. Uh, apparently, all the the players' lockers in Chapel Hill have some cheese attached to them this week. You want you want to tell that story? Yeah, this is great stuff. It is a great story, and and, and and I think this is an indication that Mac has done this. And I'm going to preface what I'm the story by saying this that he believes that this is a different team because in the past you'd be correcting all these mistakes and just, you know, you'd treat Virginia like you treat everybody else, even some bad Virginia teams, which they faced in the past. But uh, they had a team meeting on Sunday and the team meeting was almost like as if they had lost the night before. They had 14 penalties for 147 yards. Chip Lindsay, the offense coordinator said that they had almost a hundred yards pulled back because of the penalties. So if you add that to the lost yardage of the penalties, it's 240 yards or something that they had taken away from them, essentially. Wow. They were ticked off about that. And they um, they weren't very strong on third down. And and they weren't great in the red zone scoring touchdowns, which has been a problem in the fourth quarter of the last couple of weeks. So the, the staff found a lot of stuff to pummel them with. And at the same time, they moved into the top 10 during that conversation, basically. So that's a tough thing to balance there with a group that's not used to being there. So Mac told them a little bit of the cheese story, which he relayed to us on Monday in his press conference. And he said that in 2005, when he was at Texas, they were number two in the country. Bill Parcells was the head coach of the Cowboys at the time. And they had just beaten Kansas 66 to 14. And that was the Mark Mangino, Kansas. So that was decent Kansas. Yeah. And Max like, and, and Parcells calls him up and says, Hey man, you're in trouble this week. Max like, what are you talking about? We just killed Kansas by 50 something points. Nah, you're in trouble. Texas A&M, they're four and seven. They're laying in wait. This is their bowl game. And he said, don't be the rat and eat the poisonous cheese. Meaning that you guys are talking championship because they were on a collision course with Southern Cal. You're talking Vince Young and the Heisman. All these things are talked about. No one's talking about AM. 
and the dangerous game in College Station. So it really hit home with Max. So the players weren't around at that time. It was sometime in the afternoon. So he went and had a piece of cheese put in every locker <laughs> and put a sign up on the wall about what Parcel said. Don't eat the poisonous cheese. And Jeremy Sharp, whom you know, he's the media relations guy for Carolina football in, in charge of branding. He was there with Mac at Texas, and he's confirmed the story. So it absolutely happened. So fast forward to today, Wednesday, when we're taping this, we talked to Bryson Nesbitt on Zoom after practice today, and he said when the kids, when the team got to the locker uh, room this morning, they practiced at 8 o'clock in the morning, so they got there about 7 o'clock, each player had a fishing line with a piece of cheddar cheese on it and a note up top, don't eat the poisonous cheese. <laughs> so the point is, is that UVA's one in five, Carolina's six and oh, they're 10th in the country. You know, this is kind of new money, right? What do people that don't have money that win the lottery do? They start spending money and all kinds of crazy stuff. Mac doesn't want them to do that. He wants them to be focused and understand that the noise is out there. The attaboys are out there. Don't bite into it. Don't take a bite out of that stuff. Keep plowing straight ahead. And so we'll find out if they ate the cheese or not. Now, by the way, in that Texas, Texas A&M game, uh, A&M led 29-24 at the half. Wow. And Max said he told his team at halftime, y'all going to win the game. You're not going to die, but you're going to be sick because you took too much bite of that cheese. <laughs> so they Texas won 40-29 to and won the national championship five weeks later. So, Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer, personally fit art supports. They helped me so much, I ran my first marathon that year. Then because I believed in the Good Feet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Good Feet Store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back, and you're listening to The Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Wahoo wah. Now, what a great story. And uh... It's fantastic stuff, and I think it's an indication of what he thinks about this team, actually. He, he he knows that there is something very significant that they could play for, and this is a different club. Each presser each week is different than they were a year ago, not just because they're, we're, they're coming after wins. They were 9-1 last year, but we never got this stuff from him. They were winning, but they weren't winning big. They were barely beating people. They were finding ways to win. This Charlottesville. They went down there and found a way to win, or up there and found a way to win. This is different. They have five wins over Power 5 teams by an average of 18.5 points a game. Wow. So they're different, and it's really interesting to watch a Hall of Famer, a legend who's done this before, doing it again here in year five, and the way he talks about his team, so different than he has before. I find it interesting, fascinating, and kind of fun because it is different, and it's not an experience I've had covering college football too much in my life. I've had it covering college basketball a lot with Duke and Carolina, uh, but not football. And that's what's making this an interesting ride for journalists. And I would imagine fans are loving it. I would think so. Just uh, watching that Miami game on TV last uh, Saturday night since Virginia was off and looked like Keenan Stadium was uh, uh, electric. And I hadn't seen it that way in a long time. That's for sure. Long time. Long time. Um, 
But yeah, I've always thought that Mac was a, a great motivator uh, and a, a guy who knows how to get his team excited at the right times. And that's that's just another example, I believe. And um, it, it, you know, it's such a dynamic football team, and it, it starts with the dynamic offense, which starts with Drake May, and um, he's a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. There's no question about it. Uh, just how is he different this year? Uh, I guess it's just uh, the natural maturation of a quarterback. But uh, I mean, he's 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 pretty darn good, AJ. Yeah, they brought in Chip Lindsey. Uh, Phil Longo left for Wisconsin. Right. And when, when Mac was looking for a replacement, he decided to have Drake interview the candidates as well. Really? One-on-one. Wow. And because a couple of the things that Drake told him when Longo announced he was leaving, Drake went into Mac's office and said, I need someone that can help me with my footwork. I need someone that can help me you know, progress in some areas that I'm going to need to at the next level. So they hired Chip Lindsay. And Drake was the one who said to hire Chip Lindsay. He recommended it. So they did. And that has been a point of emphasis. But Lindsay is is more run oriented than Longo was, more power run. You've seen Carolina run the ball between the guards, between the tackles, a lot more this year than they did before. It is a point of emphasis. And you're not seeing nearly as much RPO stuff. They do have things where Drake can change a call at the line of scrimmage. And they can have the same formation look in a run or a pass, an inside run, or they can throw deep. So they, they can do those things. But he's not, Lindsay's put more on Drake to manage the game than Longo did. Longo's offense was a system, and you have to fit into the system and handle things accordingly. There's a lot more on Drake to actually manage the game and make the calls about who we're going to run this or we're going to pull back and we're going to do this. And also in the checkdowns, last year, sometimes he would try to thread the needle. He'd try to make the great throw. Now he will quickly go to his checkdown and dump down to a back. Amari Hampton has like 12 receptions. He'll quickly do that and take the six, seven, eight yards they give you and keep moving forward. And that, to me, is more NFL-like than he was a year ago. And there have been some scouts in the press box that say, you know, he's moving up that ladder. There's not much of a ladder to go up from where he was when the season started, but he looks more like an NFL guy than he did a year ago. Last year, he looked like a gunslinger. He's still a gunslinger when he has to be, but he's a quarterback. And he's a quarterback at a very high level. And if they need him to throw for 400 yards, he could do that. But if he only throws for 220 and they win and Omari and Hampton runs for 200 yards, Drake is the happiest guy in the room. Because in the NFL, it's about winning, right? Absolutely. Win the game. Score more points, win the game, and you keep moving forward. And that's the way he's approaching things. He hasn't been as dynamic as he was a year ago, but he's but he has comparable number of yards. Not as many touchdown passes, but he's had like five guys caught at the one-yard line this year on big pass plays, which is <laughs> kind of weird. Mac talks about it, it all the time. <laughs> oh, he'd have more touchdowns if you got one more yard. <laughs> so he's pushing that narrative a little bit. But he's right, and when they get to the one, it's not like they give him the TD pass by doing a little something to the tight end. They give it to Hampton, and he plows ahead and scores. So I, I kind of like seeing him handle things that way because you hear about guys being selfless and all about the team all the time, and sometimes it's just something that they want to push about a kid. Yeah, he's a team guy, but kids really want their stats, right? 
I think in Drake's case, this is very genuine. This is kind of who he is. He wants to win. And we hear stories about how competitive he is and pickleball when they, they have a basketball court now at the football center and he'll play guys in basketball and he will dominate them and taunt and that kind of thing. He just wants to win. He's so ultra competitive. So he really would be fine passing for 180 yards and getting a win then 400 yards and having a game go down to the wire. So uh, that's another part of the maturity of this team. It's the maturity of Drake. No question about it. And uh, how, how much did the addition of, of uh, Taz Walker elevate this offense? I mean, it, uh, Tony uh, Elliott talked about Walker the other day, just kind of shaking his head about how good the kid is and said, yeah. I mean, this guy is special. Well, it's no coincidence that in the two games before he became eligible against Minnesota and Pittsburgh, they didn't run the ball well at all. They averaged like three yards a rush. And the two games since he was cleared, they ran, gosh, they're probably at around 400-something yards rushing, and they're averaging almost six yards a carry. And Domarian Hampton is the great beneficiary because he runs between the, the guards, between the tackles, a lot of inside runs. What happens is with Tez out there, you're kind of freezing the safety for a second at the snap. Since they're not doing the RPO, you don't know what they're running sometimes. You don't know what Drake is, is if he's changed something at the line of scrimmage. So the safeties are late making the run fits when they run. The, and and Armarian can get through that first hole. He's a very physical runner. He had 197 yards last Saturday night against Miami and 163 were after contact. Wow. And he's breaking tackles. And the thing is, he gets to the second level and one linebacker has to bring him down and the safety's a little late coming in. So what used to be two-yard runs and three-yard runs are sometimes seven and eight yards now. That's a big difference. That's and so Ted, that, that's a Tez Walker effect right there. The other thing is, is other guys are going to have more freedom, if you will. A Nate McCollum route that maybe you got to hit him at 18 to 22 yards downfield. Nate can get 25 and 30 downfield again because there's so many eyes on Tez because he's going to beat the first guy and there's got to be a safety rolling over to help out. So Nate McCollum's getting ISOs constantly. JJ Jones getting ISOs constantly. And uh, they, they expect Gavin Blackwell to be fairly healthy playing this week. He's going to get ISOs as well. The tight ends, they got really good tight ends. They can drag them over the middle. And there's nobody there. The tight ends uh, had several catches the other day where they were able to catch and turn up field and get another 10, 15 yards. So that's the Tez Walker effect. He makes them more explosive, and he is really good. He had three touchdowns the other day. He's just uh, – he's got a different gear. I was told a story the other day after uh, press conferences about uh, – it was a GPS story about Tez where – his GPS was just buzzing higher than anybody else's, and he looked like he was running with less effort than everybody else. <laughs> he's just got – he's just – you've seen guys like that at UVA. They've had some dudes like that. Yeah, he's yeah. just a next-gear next, next gear guy. And you know, there was a legend of Tez Walker before he ever stepped foot on field, Jerry. That's amazing. He was – he was the most popular North Carolina football player of all time to have never played in a game. And then he <laughs> steps on the field and he hasn't, it's only been two games, but he hasn't disappointed. He's, he's meeting the hype for sure. Yeah. He, he is who we thought he was. That's for sure. No. Yeah. You said something. Someone, someone over at UNC said the other day, uh, Carolina fans should enjoy him while they have him. Yeah. Good point. 
you said something interesting a moment ago about um, they were able to uh, three-man rush Miami. And uh, when you do that, uh, when you can three-man rush and, and get the job done, that, that speaks volumes for a defense. And uh, I know uh, – I imagine Tyler Van Dyke is still in the ice tub from the beating he took Saturday night down there in Keenan Stadium. Um, I guess for the first time since Max returned, he has a defense he can brag about. Yeah, I think one thing that's really helped, and this has helped on both sides of the ball. They, they, every, I'm sure the football fans that that listen to this know who Clyde Christensen is mm-hmm. and the success he's had in the NFL. And this time a year ago, he's coaching Tom Brady. He's now an offensive analyst. A defensive analyst is a guy named Ted Monachino, who was with the Atlanta Falcons last year. And he's coached a bunch of all pros. He's considered a pass rush specialist. And that was something totally missing. The conventional pass rush, they just, their technique was bad. They just didn't get to the quarterback. Quarterbacks could sit there, and even if there's good coverage, they can go through progression, they'll find somebody. They're they're not getting a ton of sacks, but they're forcing quarterbacks to move. They're forcing them to move away from where they want to deliver the ball, which changes what the routes look like in their eyes. And they're being, they're able to do it with three-man rush often. And when you're able to get a three-man rush going and you have to use five linemen to block them, then it opens the door to be very, very choosy about when you blitz and who you send. And when they do that, they've had a lot of success. They've gotten – that's one reason Cayman Rucker leads them in sacks is – I don't know, sometimes it's not really a blitz when he does it because he's a jack. He's sort of like a pseudo-defensive end at times. But he can drop back in coverage. He does that a lot as well. So when they send him and he's a fourth guy, uh, they have, they have quite a bit of success. So a lot of this is Ted Monachino. I think his effect on the defense has been uh, significant, but it also, again, a lot of younger guys with talent have just gotten older and better. They're stronger. They're healthy up front. And then they've got really good linebackers that you can trust. They can cover guys over the middle. If they need to stunt and come in, they can as well. Uh, Cedric Gray's as good a linebacker as I've ever covered in college. He's unbelievable. Power Eccles is really good. Cedric is next-level stuff. Mac loves to talk about how he could have gone to the NFL. Would have been a second-round pick, probably, third-round pick. Now he's played himself into a possible first-round pick. He's that good. And when you have a guy like that mill the defense, who is the fanny smacker over there, and he talks more than anybody else does, and he backs it up with performance, it kind of lifts everybody else up. That's the amazing thing about this team, Jerry, that I haven't seen that on defense since Butch Davis was there. And aside from that, since Mack was there the first time. The wow. end of the Mack era, they had that kind of defense. Yeah, they sure they're not as They're not as good as those guys were. And I still don't know how good they are now. I think they're top 50. I think they're right in the top 40 right now. They're probably top 50 with some playmakers. That might be enough with this offense. We'll find out more, maybe not this weekend, but in the coming weeks, we'll find out. Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965 with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's Big Time Steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat-screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, 
where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. This is Chris Slade, former University of Virginia defensive end, graduate of 1993, back on the staff at UVA, excited to be back coaching um, my old stomping grounds. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. But there's certainly a lot better. They were in the hundreds last year and everything. Yeah. And and the other part, yeah, and the other part of that too, people should understand about Gene Chizik is that, you know, he had been in TV for five years. He came back and offense has changed when he was gone. They changed a lot. And he did a full self-evaluation in January and realized a lot of the things that he was married to last season didn't work anymore. So he had to sort of, I wouldn't say reinvent, but he had to heavily tweak some things. And the kids have responded to it because they were the right things. They trust him implicitly, and you could see that. That's why they make these adjustments. Pittsburgh scores touchdowns on their first two drives. They don't score one their last 10 drives, that kind of thing. So they trust Gene. He can make the adjustments, and he's got older, smart kids who can actually take what he says and apply it to the field. That's that's impressive that not only did he self-evaluate, but they that Mac was uh, – I guess open to bringing in some consultants, like you mentioned, and yeah, sounds like that's made a major impact on the program for sure. And uh, you know, and you know, in terms of the the pass rush, they may have a field day Saturday night against Virginia because they're one of the worst in the country in in protecting the quarterback. I think they've given up twenty two sacks already, mm-hmm. uh, and. The offensive line, they've they've made some changes in the past couple of weeks that has helped a little bit, but uh, it's still um, a work in progress. And and I'm not sure they're going to be able to slow down Carolina's pass rush very much, to be honest. But, but UVA has had some success throwing the ball. They have, and and I think that again, this is probably part of the message that Max giving to his team. They. If they're not ready to go, they're going to fall victim to some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. If they're over-amped up, the same thing. It's going to be interesting to see how UVA attacks because the rushing game, the running game is not very, very good. But if a, if a club is overconfident on that side of the ball defensively, you can find spots. So it'll be interesting if UVA can, can move the chain some, keep Carolina's offense off the field, and find a way to shorten the game. And you can shorten a game through the pass. There's no doubt about it. So I, I when I've when I've watched UVA, I, they've been better in the passing game than I expected. Especially with a guy coming in for Monmouth, and then you have a freshman there as well. And and, and the freshman's a tough kid. Yes, I, I was impressed with his toughness at Maryland. Even the way that that game went, I was really impressed. It was one of those games where. You look back a couple of years later and say, remember that night? He learned a lot that night. He grew up that night. And hopefully for him and for UVA, that's the case. But that is a way they, they might be able to exploit Carolina's defense some Saturday. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'll be – Tony Musket will be trying to make a difference. They, they have a couple of good wide receivers, too, in uh, Washington and, and uh, Malachi Fields. They're both really good. Uh, they haven't developed a third yet. Uh, although they have a couple of good tight ends that they haven't used very much, but 
uh, I think what they're trying to do is protect Calandria and redshirt him, even though Musket will be back again next year. Um, so, you know, that's, and Calandria, the freshman, has agreed to that. They, they don't want to use him again this year unless they have to. Okay. And, I wasn't sure. I know they were splitting time. Has he played in four games already? He has played in four games. So if no, he plays so in another. Yeah. Unless but, he go to a bowl, he could play in a bowl game. They're probably not going to a bowl though, but no. okay. That's actually good. He got a lot of experience for a red shirt year. Yeah. He got so, so that goes back to what I said about Maryland. If you're a UVA fan, you've got to be encouraged that he is getting a red shirt year with a ton of film to watch. Yes. So that usually doesn't happen. That's one of the cool things about the new rules that I like is that, it, you know, kids get a chance to develop more with, with the four game rule. So that's a good thing. They got to keep musket healthy though. Yeah. And that's, that's the big question. Uh, he he came out of a, uh, came out of the game after stretching out for a, a first down on a run uh, against William and Mary and, and uh, had to go in the medical tent. He was out for a play and they, we thought Calandria would come in but they sent in the third team guy to run a quarterback sneak. And then Musket mm. came back out to a touchdown pass on the next play. Mm. So he's a tough kid, but he's got a shoulder that's uh, bothered him ever since the getting injured in the Tennessee game. And uh, so, you know, they're on pins and needles with him because uh, uh, if he, if he does get hurt, they have no other option than to put Calandria back in the game because the third team guy is just not ready. He's never he's never really played in college football except for that one snap the other day. <laughs> well, that I, that tells me we'll see a lot of quick quick passes on Saturday, so he doesn't Probably get so. hit, get the get the ball out of his hands. And I think Carol, Carolina plays soft sometimes at corners and a coverage, so they might give them the four and five yard outs, and they might be able to chip their way down the field that way. Yeah, probably so. And I think they'll probably have to move the pocket, uh, have a rolling pocket too, to try to yeah. Uh, avoid uh, getting killed in, in the pocket there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how Virginia tries to attack and, and what they can do. But uh, I would say the 23 and a half point spread is probably pretty accurate. <laughs> probably so. But again, um, I think it's an opportunity for both teams to, to learn. Yeah. I've covered teams in Virginia's situation before and, and every game is is a great opportunity to to move a couple of things forward, and certainly in this game, they'll be loose. I, I think the the message in Chapel Hill is that Virginia will be loose coming off a win and then an open date, which means when they take the field Saturday, it will have been three weeks since they had tasted loss, tasted a yeah. loss. Yeah. And so they'll be as confident as they've been all year, probably. Yeah, they've got nothing to lose for sure. Yeah, and they'll be loose. Yeah. And so I think if you're a UVA fan, you got to at least be mildly optimistic that this can be a competitive game. And if it's a competitive game, look, Carolina's allowed a kickoff return for a touchdown this year. They've had two punts blocked and they've allowed some, they've their kick, their kickoff coverage team is not very good. They, they had a pooch kick against uh, Pittsburgh that was muffed and the ball's laying right there and nobody in white jumped on it. And Mac was furious about that. They allowed some pretty good returns by Miami the other day. So if Virginia has, has somebody in special teams that can take something to the house, that's a possibility. And certainly the, the, the Carolina's punch shield has been a mess. They've used like three guys 
Uh, and at one spot, the outside left spot of the punch shield, that's or the right spot, rather, that's where the, the blocks have come from. In fact, the second block, they had one Pittsburgh, then they had one Syracuse, and Max said it's the same situation, the same problem, but it was a different guy. So if it was the same guy, then he'd take him out, you put someone else in there, but it's two guys, and they had a third one in there against Miami. So they've used three different guys the last three games at that spot on the punch shield. That's not good. And that's going to come back to bite them when they do play better teams because they could be equal at the line of scrimmage on offense and defense, but special teams may not win you games, but they can lose you games. Right. So there are there are some opportunities for UVA to perhaps exploit and have an opportunity to, to make this game very competitive. Yeah, well, they have, they have even in the some of the games they've lost, they've they've blown double digit leads in the second half uh, yeah. in three contests. So you know they. They have uh, they have some hope, and you know I think Tony's been trying to build their confidence this week, saying this this is what you dream about, this is what you play for, and this is an opportunity to play a top ten team and and shock the world. So uh, I'm sure yes. they won't go into Keenan Stadium confident and and loose, but um, we'll see how long that that lasts in in reality, but. Uh, Three of the losses are, correct me if I'm wrong, three of the losses are by seven points, right? And then yeah, the Maryland, I watched the Maryland game. game. Yeah. And the Maryland game was a game, and it just kind of spiraled out of control quickly, right. which happens sometimes. Yeah. But I thought I thought UVA went in there and played well against a pretty good team on the road. They really did. Uh, and, again, that was uh, Calandria. Um, yeah. We saw the good and the bad in a freshman <laughs> that night, but – yeah. But yeah, I mean, this team is capable of, of of moving the football and doing some things that are cool. But uh, they again, they haven't run up against uh, a team quite as good as this, except except for Tennessee in the opener, which was pretty good. I'm, I'm not sure they're as good as Carolina, but uh, hopefully, it'll be a, a fun game to watch. Um, Oh, it's got good storylines, Jerry. We need good storylines. <laughs> we right? always need good stories, <laughs> especially not, we've had nothing but night games for the most part. So I'm leaving stadiums at four and five a.m. and with a six thirty start. If we have good storylines, it'll be okay staying inside Keenan Stadium till four a.m. before I leave and finish my work and leave. So I'm a big fan of good storylines and no typos. I I'm I'm right with you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Well, AJ, thank you so much for uh, giving us an inside look at the Tar Heels and uh, Saturday's game. We always appreciate your uh, insight and, and opinions. And um, uh, like I, I told you, if, you, if you're interested in anything Carolina, go to Tar Heel Illustrated and check him out because uh, nobody knows as much about Carolina as, as this man right here. And uh, he's got a wonderful site. You need to check it out. And uh, – Especially if you're a Tar Heel fan, you're missing out if you're not checking out Tar Heel Illustrated, for sure. Andrew, that, thank you so much, brother. Appreciate your time, and uh, it's always fun talking to you. It's it's always a pleasure and honor talking with you because you're one of the legends in our business, and I've always looked up to you and, and admire you from afar and from up close. So uh, thank you for thinking enough of me to have me on. Uh, it's it's my pleasure. And my, right, my man. Thank you. See you soon. Absolutely. See you Saturday.